Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This next Lady Boss interview and podcast takeover is by Kat McDavid. She's got such a dynamic personality. I just love listening to her. Today, she's interviewing Maria Levis, who's the CEO and founder of Impactivo, which is a health consulting firm in Puerto Rico, a place close to my heart. I can't wait for you all to hear their insights. So let's get to it. Welcome back to the Lady Boss interview series. I'm Kat McDavid, and in this set of interviews, I'm interviewing women leaders in the healthcare technology industry about one big thing. In this episode, I take a deep dive into health equity with Maria Levis, CEO and founder of Impactivo, a woman and minority-owned health consulting firm in Puerto Rico. Maria talks with me about her community-level approach to health equity, how she's working with HHS to scale her approach across the country, and some of the downsides of health equity becoming buzzword trendy. Hi, my name is Maria Levis. I'm CEO of Impactivo, and thank you for inviting me to Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is awesome. Uh, thank you for putting it together. Thank you for coming. So um, let me tell you a little bit about Impactivo. And it's funny that you talk about health equity, like health equity before it was cool, because it's, it's always been in our DNA. So our mission is to enable health system transformation. And we do it specifically to provide access to vulnerable communities. Mm. Uh, our firm is based in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has been, I mean, we've gone through, you know, we defaulted on the debt. We then went to, through two category um, five hurricanes. Then we've had about a thousand uh, earthquakes, uh, Zika epidemic, and now the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. So, you know, health equity was 
just, you know, it just happens to be what we do. And one of the things that happens when locations are impacted so severely by so many things, well, innovation happens, right? So a lot of what we do is around health equity and innovation in the context of vulnerable communities. Um, and Kat, as I was mentioning to you before, a little bit of this has to do with my background, right? Right, and right. I actually come to the work of healthcare through a 15-year career working with homeless. Mm. Again, in Puerto Rico, often working with issues of substance abuse, mm -hmm. um, but talking about social determinants of health. When, when I talk about homeless people and what's happened to them, you know, being homeless is really the symptom of all of the systems failing you, right? right. Every single service failed you and you are, you know, at the end of the street and you're, on, you know, you're literally on the street. Right, right. Um, so a lot of this work is based on what we learned. And what we learned was, you know, in order to address the needs of communities, you have to be knowledgeable about the communities and understand the patients and understand, you know, not just their needs from a clinical perspective or from a social perspective, but also from a cultural perspective. Uh, and that's a lot of what we've been doing with Impactivo. Uh, and we have the honor of being able to do it at a system level. So we've done amazing projects like the um, CMS-funded State Health Innovation Plan. Uh, and we've also done a lot of model projects with FQHCs and other clinics to transform care so that it's more team-based. It addresses patients, you know, in all of their particularities and all of their needs and also produces outcomes, which is what I know a lot of the payers are looking for. Right. Producing outcomes. I think that that's always the key, right? I know um, a lot of our listeners and viewers are from health technology, right? And I think what a lot of people miss is that uh, really on the ground, what's going to impact these very vulnerable patients is that team-based approach and a systems approach that isn't just oh, well, we added a module to our EHR and now we do health equity, right? Would you mind talking a little bit about your experience with making things happen and outcomes proving out? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, a lot of our work comes from knowing and understanding the populations. So we actually started doing community health needs assessments. Mm. You know, go out to communities. You know, when I worked with homeless people, we developed a homeless management information system, which is literally an information system to draw out the, you know, what, what was happening in the streets and with the patients and with the services. So, you know, fast forward, we're in healthcare, electronic health records come out. So this was all way before any of that happened. Um, and the electronic health record has always been very focused on the clinical side. You know, and in order to engage and to provide information about social determinants of health, well, now they do things like incorporate questionnaires like prepare, right? Right, right, right. Um, and now, you know, with health equity, you know, we're starting to document which people are from racial minorities or, you know, uh, a population that's protected, right? Right. And uh, the way that we go about it is much more contextual. So hmm. if you look at our, our community health needs assessments, you know, we did the entire literature review and we know what what you know all of them look like and we still tailor them to every community and the reason we do that is and i'll give you a very concrete example we have uh you know an area that we work out in the, in the west of puerto rico and in that community the agriculture um involves burning 
of certain okay. byproducts. So certain times of the year, they have asthma outbreaks. Okay. And they're all related to this burning. You know, there's no questionnaire that you could put together and use everywhere without customizing it that can pull that kind of information. I was talking to an endocrinologist who was doing work in Mexico. And, you know, diabetes control is a huge issue. And, you know, she spent all this time in her clinic talking to people about refried beans, right? Mm. And, you know, she's she's not from there. She was coming in as an outsider to do this intervention. So she was focusing on, you know, how to get people to eat better. And she goes to... She was focusing on refried beans. Refried beans, yeah. (laughs) But what was interesting is, you know, she, she tells the story and she goes to a place with her daughter and she sees all of a sudden like this long line of people and they are um, putting Cheetos, right, with cheese sauce, right? So in this one community, Cheetos with cheese sauce was like the food you eat. And she's like, I never thought that I would have to address Cheetos with cheese sauce. Amazing. I, I give you this long story because, you know, in the age where we are, we have such an opportunity to really personalize and mm-hmm. customize initiatives and interventions in a way that's data-driven to the population's needs. Uh, you know, we, we have that opportunity more than ever before. Before we used to do, you know, population uh, interventions. Now we can do individual level interventions. And some of the work that we're doing with telehealth uh, involves a tool that we created, which is called the iTract, which is the mm-hmm. Activo Telehealth Readiness Assessment. And it's for patients and it's to see, so where are patients with respect to their access? You know, do, what kind of data plan do they have? What kind of device do they have? How comfortable are they? Do they have someone in their house that can help them? Mm. And based on that, we can then provide folks with the supports that they need to access. Got it. Got it. Got it. So your approach is really getting into the community, understanding it, understanding what makes it tick. Um, right. It might be difficult to uh, to remove the Cheetos with cheese sauce. Right. But what else can what else can happen? Um, and to your point about the the burning right and the, and the asthma outbreaks. Right. Like how how do you address communities um, and, and make sure you can have an impact. Is there a way to do this at scale to that point? Have you, have you been successful in that? So, uh, we've done these community health needs assessment now in 22 municipalities in Puerto Rico. Got it. The telehealth, um, in particular telehealth readiness assessment for care transformation has been deployed with, um, I mean, Medicaid throughout the island. There's a lot more that needs to happen in order for it, for it to get to scale you know, scale we're talking about nationally. Right. But we're doing some interesting projects. So number one, we have National Science Foundation funding to uh, figure out how to scale this out. So we're very cool. SBI. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Yeah, we're super excited. We've been doing this work now for about a year. Uh, and we have three pilot sites, which are FQHCs. We've also submitted to various federal funding agencies how to develop these as pilot projects, not just within Puerto Rico, but in alliance with other organizations in the United States, mm. um, like, for example, Stanford, Harvard, Ohio, to get you know across the nation and really see how these interventions can be done in a way that's personalized and modularized. Got it. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I'm so excited to see that play out. Um, because like I said in the beginning, a lot of this is, uh, you know, vendors addressing health equity and saying, oh, I did a, I have a screening tool now. 
<laughs> right? right? Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily get to the root of the problem. And and these are people and, and behavior change is hard. And how do you support people who have very complex needs? So mm-hmm. I think that's phenomenal to hear about. So a question for you then, knowing that you have this great experience in Puerto Rico and you're going to be able to scale it out um, and help out the rest of us, what advice do you have for um, other leaders in the space who are trying to address health equity uh, with with all kinds of different approaches? What what have you learned that you think is like the real nugget to proving outcomes in this space? You know, I'll mention something super specific, and it, it has to do with innovation in the context of health equity. Mm. So, um, you know, because I participate in these networks and I hear the conversations about innovation and innovation is like the next thing. Mm. What is like the next device? What is the next technology? And often it's not about what works within the context of communities, right? Mm. So even with telehealth, and this is a conversation that we're having here with um, stakeholders across the board. So the phone encounter, maximization of the phone encounter and what people can do on a phone is really an advance in technology within the context of Because when we're talking about communities that do not have access to broadband, do not have access to the mobile devices, Mm. the best alternative is deploying an intervention through the phone, right? Right, right. So the topic of innovation needs to incorporate uh, where people are and where the innovation is going to be situated not just the technology aspect. So that would be like right. the first thing. Right, right. So sometimes innovation isn't technology, right? Or the fanciest thing. It's how how do you how do you really modify your approach and think critically about your community that you're trying to serve? I love exactly. that. You're, you're speaking my love language right now because I'm all about <laughs> customized approaches and, and most of what I do too. That's fantastic. That's awesome. So I do want to talk about, um, you know, real briefly here, because I know we're, we're running out of time already. This is why I end up doing these 16 minute long rambling interviews, because I get yes. so excited about what people have to say. Um, but when we talk about, you know, we, we said health equity before, it's cool, right? It's something that you've always been doing, that you've always worked into the space. Um, how... How difficult was it for you to start a consultancy focused on this kind of community level intervention <laughs> right before it was like the buzzword that you could check the box? Like, tell me about that journey, because I think that that's really interesting. You know, even even now, um, and oftentimes I have to say that um, I see people doing health equity and it's not to discriminate, but the profile of the folks that are doing health equity is not very equitable. Mm. So I'll give you, uh, you know, something that we did in this in the plant that we put together uh, recently. We made it a point to have representation from all of the communities that we were going to be studying, mm. right? And sometimes it's patient-centered, like having patients have uh, a role in the table, but the communities right. need to be represented. We can't assume for them and, and go into it. So I'll give you that as a background to what's happening now. Yeah. But Oftentimes when folks are like, wow, what you're doing is so interesting. Um, and, you know, sometimes there's folks who are coming to the space and, you know, you're like, oh, maybe they're going to compete. I invite them to the table and I'm like, look at what we do. And what we do is really hard. Yeah. And usually folks that are not in it for the heart, oh, they give up very, very quickly. You know, what we do is really hard. Uh, we've been so lucky to have amazing partners. We consider our clients our partners. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And just to give you an idea, when the pandemic broke out um, and we knew we were going to get the PPP funding, we uh, knew our clients were suffering. So right. we did, you know, a lot of um, extra work that, you know, was outside the scope of what we could get paid for because right, our commitment right. is not for the funding. It's for the mission. And right. that's one of the things that makes the, the organization work. I did see in one of your podcasts, someone talk about nonprofits. I come from the nonprofit sector as well. Most of our clients are nonprofit health organizations. Mm -hmm. We chose to go through the for-profit route because it allows us to achieve scale. Right. So a lot of times we do projects, you know, and we take our profits and save them and we invest them in things that no one else will invest in. Right. So that is the commitment it takes. <laughs> right. I, you know, and I do think you can be mission oriented and heart first uh, with uh, with a for profit entity for sure. You know, sometimes um, I mean, there are a lot of amazing nonprofits out there. Right. But sometimes I feel like nonprofits, like the incentive is to just spend your money faster. Right. So <laughs> Depends on the grant, right? It does depend on the grant, um, but I, yeah, I appreciate that, right? It's um, and I appreciate what you're saying about the current, the you know, it's a buzzword, right? And so buzzwords unfortunately attract um, certain certain crowds, right? That might be in it for the wrong reasons. Um, but I love that, and I know I know you're woman owned. I know based in Puerto Rico, and I, like you said, tons of challenges in that community. Uh, so you definitely have a firsthand experience with a lot of crisis. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because when the pandemic hit, we already had our plan. We're like, okay, that's right. One, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And was a lot of that informed by Zika? Uh, a lot of it was informed by the hurricanes. Okay. The hurricanes was really a transformational uh, disaster. Yeah. You know, we had, we had no water. So we, I, you know, I started drinking Sprite because there was no access to water. Wow. Wow. So, so that, that was the level of, of uh, you know, of a ca catastrophic event. And, you know, we had to build up from that. So, so yeah. a lot of the, you know, it's not just the, the process, but also the relationships. And I think one of the things that makes Puerto Rico such, uh, I'm going to say like a hotbed for innovation in this space is we've been going through all of these together. So there right. is a lot of amazing leaders, you know, who are paving the road for how do you address the needs of vulnerable communities in contexts where there is not a lot of resources. Right, right, right. It forces innovation, right? To some degree. Innovation, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, so so tell me this. So what's next for you and Impactivo? What are you guys up to next? I know you said you have the grant to scale uh, your approach and your solution nationwide, but what, what, what else is going on? Or is that it? That's a lot, if it is that. <laughs> no, you know, it, it's not the only thing that we're doing. Uh, we are doing quite a bit around uh, patient-centered medical home, telehealth, and community health workers, and how they can be, you know, how the appropriate approaches can be contextualized and implemented so they have outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an idea, our patient-centered medical home intervention. So it's not just patient-centered medical home, and I'm a, an NCQA certified content expert. So it's Fantastic. not just the, the approach. It's... How do you implement it and contextualize it? We've been able to improve uh, diabetes control significantly. So 36% over the last three years, with, which every, with every year having um, significant gains. So what we do moves the needle. We want to expand that to other organizations, particularly FQHCs or organizations serving vulnerable communities. 
And we also um, just uh, submitted a project that we're doing in collaboration with Mass General Hospital around resilience training hmm. for health professionals. Wow. Because in the context that we are living, the level of stress and the burnout that our health professionals are experiencing is fundamental. I mean, it's fundamental that we approach it and that we, we take it on as an issue and a serious issue in order for us to expect anything to happen with healthcare because our Absolutely. front line is being impacted. So. Absolutely. And uh, this is this is me going on a small rant about physician burnout. Right. But um, it's so frustrating to hear that the, the burden of reducing physician burnout is often put on those physicians who are burnt out. Right. It's do more yoga or, you know, put some lavender oil on when it's a fundamental system issue. It's a complex issue. Uh, one of the things that we do with our patients after medical home methodology is make sure that everyone is operating top of their license. Mm. One of the things that happens in health systems is uh, organizations are not don't necessarily have the processes, and you know the, the job of a physician is to diagnose and treat, right? right? That's what they're they're trained to do, and then all of a sudden we're asking them to solve system systemic problems, right? So right. you know, not not just health system, but in their organizations, how do they solve these? And that's where we come in to provide additional support, training, tools, processes, technology, um, and, and help them do that in a way that that makes it easier for everyone. It's more organized and makes it easier for everyone. Perfect. I love that. So so we're out of time, Maria, but if you could give our listeners just one tip for um, you, those who want to, to go on the journey of entrepreneurship like you have, and you've been very successful and you've won a bunch of awards. And um, I know I know the, the list of links that came over when a mutual friend of ours nominated you for the podcast was very long. Um, but what if you could give one piece of advice to women looking to do what you've done, what would you say? So it's a it's a mix of stay true to the mission. Mm. and you know to like take it with grace because a lot of times you get so wrapped up in like how do I make this you know profitable or you know what's the business um opportunity and you lose the ear for the needs of the people that you're serving so you know and you know like now with health equity is like a buzzword yeah the real priority still is the patients right <laughs> So just, you know, fun thing will come and go. There's 10,000 opportunities and they keep on coming every time there's a change in the system and there's a right. um, But keeping true to the mission and folks that have known us for a long time, our mission continues to be to provide access for vulnerable communities. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, 
how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.